please turn in your Bibles that you uh, that you have with me to the Gospel of John. We were there last week. This time, if you'll go with me to John chapter twelve, Gospel of John chapter twelve. And for those of you that are using a Bible from this room, you'll find uh, our passage today on page 769. 769. John is, of course, one of the four Gospels in the New Testament, one of the four accounts of the life of Jesus. John's is the most uh, unique. In other words, it's the most unlike any of the other four in his perspective. So what we're going to read Tonight, from John 12, and what we're going to look at and the things we're going to see are really not as explicit in some of the other Gospels uh, as we work through this, this material tonight. I don't know how closely you pay attention to some of the songs, uh, lyrics that we sing either in here or, or uh, as a church on Sunday morning. I want to point out some, some of the lyrics that we uh, sang uh, tonight, but also last week. Last week we sang, uh, we started with a song that begins this way. Um, who breaks the power, that's the question, who breaks the power of sin and darkness? darkness? Uh, the King of Glory is, is the way the song answers that question. He breaks the power of sin and darkness. Tonight we sang uh, these words. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. Again, that idea, when darkness seems to hide his face. And then we just sang, uh, in the chorus of the last song, Stronger than darkness and new every morn, our sins they are many, but his mercy is more. Even stronger than darkness. So, it's, it's interesting that uh, so many even of the songs that we sing, and we could give examples, I think, of lots more, but that's just from the last couple of weeks that I noticed where this theme of uh, our sins being associated with darkness and yet the work of the Lord, the grace and mercy of God stepping in to overcome that darkness, to intervene for us and for our sins. So you probably, uh, you may remember last week, uh, when we're in the beginning of John and we're thinking about Jesus coming into the world as a baby, the incarnation, and how the incarnation was associated with light. John says that in him, in the word, in Jesus, was life and his life was the light of men. And, it sa- and he says that the light shined in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. So we talked last week about the light of the incarnation Tonight, we're going to think about Jesus, a term he actually gave for himself. Jesus called himself the light of the world. The light of the world. So I want to read from John chapter 12. And I don't, I don't normally, um, I wouldn't normally read a big chunk like this all at once, but I, I want to do it uh, at the beginning so that as we talk through it, we'll kind of have the whole setting in our minds as we make some observations through it. So I'm going to start in John 12 and verse 20 and just kind of read several, really read through the rest of the chapter, so about 30 verses or so. And uh, if you'll follow along, I think you'll be able to uh, see 
as we go back and make some observations, you'll be able to understand some of what's happening. So, John 12, verse 20, tells us, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these Greeks came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loses, sorry, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled, still Jesus talking, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. And when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He's blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into this world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word I've spoken will judge him on the last day, for I've not spoken in my own authority, but the Father who sent me has, give, uh, has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak, and I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Okay, with that as our setting, with that as the background, you probably noticed uh, some of the phrases in there that Jesus makes about himself describing himself as light. So, rather than just 
um, make statements, I want to ask questions. So here are the questions, and they're and they're in your they're in your notes. So if you follow along in your bulletin and you fill in some of these blanks, you'll see the questions already already posed there. So here's the first question: What does it mean for Jesus to be the light of the world? So rather than just say Jesus is the light of the world, let's dig a little deeper and ask what is what does that mean? What does it mean for Jesus to be the light of the world? What does it mean for him to say, "I'm the light of the world"? Now, you might look back through what we read and say, well, he doesn't explicitly say it that way here, but if you turn back uh, just a few pages to John chapter 8, and you come across verse 12, this is where he makes it abundantly clear. So John 8, 12, again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So there he makes it very clear, I am the light of the world. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean for him to be that light of the world? Well, how does the, how does the scenario start? So go back to verse 20, and, and how does this whole setting begin? What's, what's happening? What's going on? If you look back there at what we read in John chapter 12 and in verse 20, where we started reading, what's going on? All right, exactly. People are looking for Jesus. What kind of people? Greeks. Okay, Greeks. And they are at a, what does it say? They, uh, they went up to worship at the, at the feast. Okay, so probably this is uh, in preparation for the Passover feast because we just read, uh, we would have just read earlier in John 12 about Jesus' what we call the triumphal entry. So he comes into Jerusalem, he's sitting on a donkey, and people are shouting Hosanna. And so this is Passover week. So all the Jews are gathered there for a feast, and yet it's not Jews who are looking for him. It is Greeks. It is Gentile people. So, so why would these Gentile people be looking for Jesus? Here's, here's the answer, I think, and it sort of answers this question. What does it mean for Jesus to be the light of the world? So you can write this in. He, Jesus, stands out among other leaders. He stands out among other leaders. There is something different about Jesus because these Gentile people, these Greek individuals, whoever they were, and we're not, we're not even really told why they're looking for him. We don't really know what they want. Maybe they had heard about Jesus and they're just, they want to meet him because he's like a celebrity and they just want to get close to him and maybe see for themselves if some of the things they heard about him was true, but they're looking for him. They want to see him. Maybe they, maybe they want to worship him. Uh, maybe they want to try to catch him. We don't really know. We don't know their motives, but they're looking for him, apparently because there's something different about him. The Greeks would have had plenty of their own leaders, even gods that they could have gone to if they were just looking to satisfy some sort of curiosity, but there was something about Jesus that caused them to want to see Jesus. This is an unexpected group of people who wants to see him. We would not have expected that these Greeks would care anything for Jesus, which shows us there's something different about him. Among all of the other darkness going on in the world, he is light. There's something different about Jesus. He is shining like light in the darkness. And and even when he even when they when they get to Jesus because we're told there that these disciples uh, bring him to Jesus, and, and they're telling Jesus, hey, these guys are looking for you. Jesus 
again, shows his uniqueness by, by just speaking in a really sort of odd way. He, he just starts with, in verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then he goes on to describe what? How was he going to be glorified? What did he have to do? In order to be glorified, he had to, he had to die. That's right. And so he begins to talk about how unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And he talks about uh, having to uh, lose your life in order to gain eternal life and so forth. And so he begins to talk about his own death. Well, if these Greeks are seeking Jesus because they think that he's extraordinary, which seems to be the case, and as and soon as they find him, he begins talking about his own death, that just adds to just how extraordinary Jesus is. So these unexpected people are looking for Jesus, and he gives them an unexpected response in the way that he talks about his own death. So he stands out among other leaders, and then in verse 26, we see this. So in your notes, we see that he is a guide for other people. He's a guide. He is a a leader among leaders. So verse 26, he says, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And he's, he's probably, again, referring or at least talking directly to these, to these Gentile people and saying something like, listen, if you really are interested in serving me, this is, this is to follow me completely. It's, it's to, to neglect and to do away with all other gods and to follow me completely. So, so Jesus here is, is telling them, I am the guide that you're looking for, but it's going to cost you your life in the same way that it's going to cost me my life. Anyone who hates his life in this world, that's the only way to keep it for eternal life. That is something of what it means for Jesus to be the light of the world, that, he's, that he is unlike any other God, any other human, any other leader in the world, in, in, in both in what he says and does, but also in what he demands from people. He demands everything of us. He demands our entire beings. That's something of an answer to that first question. What does it mean for Jesus to be the light of the world? Here's a second question I would like for us to try to answer. Why does Jesus say that the light of the world is only here for a little while? So, so maybe, maybe you noticed, uh, look down at verse 35, still in John 12. Jesus said to them, The light is among you, for a little while longer. So walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. You would maybe have thought or expected for Jesus to say instead, maybe, the light is among you forever. You know, the light, the light is eternal. The light will never go out. Something like that. But he says, the light is among you for a little while longer. So while you have the light, walk in it. So why does, he, why does he say that? Well, again, what is he ultimately pointing to? What's about to happen? His death. He's pointing to the cross where that light of the world, we could say, is going to be extinguished. It's going to be put out. It's going to be darkened for a time. So, so look at how he describes this. You have, starting in verse 27, he, he admits that his soul is troubled. I think that emphasizes just how human Jesus was. He recognizes he's in his final days. His soul is troubled at the prospect of, of what he's facing later that week. He says, but it is for this purpose I have come into the world 
He prays for the Father to glorify His name. He says in verse 31, notice this, He says, Now is the judgment of this world. So that there's, there's, a, there's a judgment that God is going to pour out on the world. Now this, is, this I think is interesting, because if you compare it uh, down with verse 47... So compare verse 31 to verse 47. So 47 says, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. Okay, that's very interesting. Why would Jesus say, or, or even how could Jesus truthfully say, that judgment has come into the world, now is the judgment of the world, but also, I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. How can both of those things be true? How can now be the time for judgment, but Jesus also say, I didn't come to judge, but to save? Here's, here's the only answer, I think. The only answer has to be that Jesus is saying, I did not come to pour out judgment on you right now. I came to absorb judgment on your behalf so you could be saved. So judgment is coming, but where was judgment coming? On himself, not on others. He, and through the judgment that was on himself, what would he be able to do? To save all who would trust in him. So now the judgment is, is in the world, and then the rest of verse 31 says, Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Who is he casting out? Who's the ruler of the world? Who's he referring to? Satan, the devil, right? Uh, throughout John, there's, there's at least three times, I think, in John where where we, we're told that, that Satan is the ruler of the world. So it is through Jesus' death on the cross, through him taking God's judgment upon, uh, for sin upon himself, that that would be the defeat of Satan and the judgment of our sins so that we can be saved from our sins. So, how would we answer that? Why does Jesus say that the light of the world is only here for a little while? Here's the first answer. He would say that to glorify the Father by casting out the ruler of this world. And we could go on and extend that answer, and, and, and we would say, cast out the ruler of this world by bringing judgment for sin upon himself to save the world. You could, you could make that answer that long, or probably longer, if you wanted to be thorough. But he's, he's doing this, he says, to glorify the Father. He prays, Father, glorify your name. And God would be glorified, the Father would be glorified, as judgment comes upon himself so that others could be saved from their sins. The second answer, I think, is similar. Here it is. Uh, we find it in verse 32. He says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So, second answer. To draw all people to himself through his death. To draw all people to himself through his death. So again, he's coming into the world not to judge but to save. And, and who, is he, who is he saving? Who is the salvation for? All people, right? I will draw all people to myself. When he says, when, he says, when I am lifted up from the earth, what, what is that a picture of? What, what, what image is he giving us there? When I'm lift, I think he's probably talking about the cross. When, when I'm lifted up from the earth, when I'm lifted up on the cross, remember earlier in John, he would have said, uh, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. I think he's probably talking about the cross. 
Yes, he'd be lifted up from the grave, but I think he's talking about it's through my death that I will draw people to myself. In fact, verse 33 gives us that explanation. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. He showed the kind of death he was going to die and why he was going to do it, and that is to draw all people to himself. Now, here's, here's where I think this explanation of, of light, so, so this leads into verse 35. Um, you know, they have, this, they have these questions in verse 34. They, you know, they're thinking back, uh, in, you know, and, and it's, it's Jewish people apparently who are responding here because they're saying, wait, we've read in our law, we've read in the Old Testament that the Christ, the Messiah, is going to rule forever. Okay, is that true? Would the Messiah rule forever? Will he? He will, right? So they're confused. Okay, if, you're, if he's going to rule forever, how can you say you must be lifted up? How can you be lifted up on a cross? I think they probably knew that that's what that meant. How can you reign forever if you're going to be put on a cross? And that's when he gives the answer in verse 35 of, the light is among you for a little while longer. I'm the light of the world. I'm among you only for a little while longer because I have to go to the cross. So walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. And verse 36, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Now, this is all very, very interesting because of what actually happens at the cross. So if you, if you can, flip backward to Luke chapter 22. So this would actually be ahead in the timeline, but backward in your Bibles to, to the way Luke describes what happens with Jesus throughout his death. So Luke 22 and verse 53. Luke twenty-two fifty-three. 53. He, sa- he tells, um, Jesus is speaking here, and he tells his disciples, When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. So, the time where Jesus was to be arrested is described as a time of darkness. And then if you go ahead to chapter, to Luke 23 and verse 44, Luke 23:44, Luke describes uh, the time uh, of Jesus on the cross this way. It was now about the sixth hour, so that's about noon. At about noon, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed and the curtain was of the temple was torn into this this is this is remarkable jesus calls out with a loud voice father into your hands i commit my spirit and having said this he breathed his last so at, at in the middle of the afternoon the sun just goes out the land just becomes completely dark i think that's what jesus meant when he says this is the hour of darkness this is both literal like the sun's not shining anymore, darkness, but also spiritual, it looks like evil has won darkness. Which is why Jesus is able to say, the light is only with you for a little while longer. Believe in the light so that you can have sons of light. But in that time of darkness, what happens? The ruler of the world is cast out. The, temp- the curtain of the temple is torn in two. People have access to God. The judgment of the world is poured out so that sins can be forgiven through Jesus, even in that darkness. Now, the third answer, I think, to the question, why did he say it's only here for a little while? 
is, is this, to fulfill what was written about him in the scriptures. So if you go back to John 12, and you see the way that John is describing all of this in light of what the Old Testament had said, in light of what Isaiah had written, you see that, that Jesus, as the light of the world, is among them only for a little while because Isaiah had prophesied things like, you know, who's going to believe this? Who has believed our report? Their eyes have been blinded. Okay, if your eyes are blinded, everything looks what? Dark. You, you can't see. So, so he's even describing this, uh, these obstacles to people believing this as darkness, as a fulfillment of what had been written about him in, in the Scriptures. So at the cross, it's as though the light of the world was darkened and judgment came upon our sins through Jesus. That's why Jesus describes this light of the world as being here only for a little while. Now, we know the rest of the story uh, that's not explained here in John 12, but we could read ahead at the end of Luke or John or any of the other Gospels and see that the darkness didn't win. Jesus didn't stay in the grave. And knowing that the light would rise from the dead, we want to ask this question. How should these things affect us today? How should these things affect us today? So to answer that, look down at verse 44. John 12, 44. Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. That's to say, if you believe in Christ, you're believing in, in God the Father also. In verse 45, And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Which means that all of us who are apart from Christ live in darkness. All of us are born in darkness and will remain there unless we what? Believe. So, how should these things affect us today? The first answer is, believe in Jesus so that you do not remain in darkness. When you were born... You are, according to the Bible, born in darkness. We read from John 3 last week, people love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And yet Jesus came into the world as light to offer us a way to be released from the darkness. Look at how this is answered. Look at how this is described. If you can go ahead real quick to, to the book of Colossians. All right, a small letter later in the New Testament. If you find... Galatians, and then go to Ephesians, and then Philippians, and then Colossians, chapter 1. In Colossians 1, this is, what is, this is what is offered to us. Colossians 1, verse 13, says that God, Paul writes, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So, so you and I were born into sin. You and I were born into the domain of darkness, and yet through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God can transfer us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His Son and offer us redemption, offer us forgiveness for our sins. So if, if that has not happened for you, 
the best way you can apply this tonight is to believe in the light. Believe in Jesus so that you do not remain in darkness. So that you can have the eternal life that comes with belonging to the kingdom of Christ. Please talk to myself, talk to one of the leaders uh, if, if that needs to be true of you tonight. And then, once you have believed, and I know many, many of you in here have believed, here's the application for us. Second way this should affect us today is that we should walk as children of light. If you were to turn back to the book of Ephesians in chapter 5, you would see, you would see how... Well, let me just read it. Ephesians 5, verse 7. We are urged, Do not become partners with them, that is, those who walk in darkness. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You once were darkness, but you have believed and you have become sons and daughters of light. So then walk as children of light. He describes that as, as d- trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. All that is, he says, the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So walk as children of light. That's what God calls us to. That's what he, he delivers us from darkness so that we can walk as children of light. Let's pray that we'll do that. Father, I ask that you'll help us as we have conversations now through these small groups and, and even uh, maybe throughout the week that you will reveal to us just how dark our sin is but also give us hope of how we can be delivered from the darkness of sin. Thank you that you have done that for many of us in this room and we pray you'll help us to walk as children of light. Thank you that Jesus came into the world as the light of the world and that he was willing on our behalf to take on darkness on himself from us, to take our sin, to take our shame, to take our transgressions and and to be judged so that we can be saved. We give you praise for that. Thank you that that your mercies are more than our sins. Your mercies are stronger than darkness and new every morn. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.